my name is Sam. Um, I'm a trustee here at Sutton Vineyard. I'm also part of the preaching team, so a very big welcome to everybody um, and everybody online. I just made myself laugh, actually. I've been listening to the podcast a little bit because Sarah and I have been on, on a bit of holiday, and it always starts with about 14 good mornings and loud chatters. So, so, so thank you very much for coming together pretty quickly. So as we've already said, so this morning we're, um, we're in our penultimate um, sermon on the Pivot series, looking at how um, meeting Jesus changes lives. And today I'm going to be talking about uh, a passage called The Road to Emmaus. So Road to Emmaus is in the, the, the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's actually in the, in, in the last chapter uh, that, that we see. And it's something that I've read quite a few times. And it's always been a bit of an odd passage for me. We'll get into potentially kind of some of the oddities um, about it a little bit later, but I've actually come to just absolutely love this passage. Um, it was actually my wife, Sarah, we were on holiday, um, and I was um, talking about kind of my next sermon and saying how I needed to do some prep, and I had a few ideas, wasn't really sure. Um, and Sarah actually turned around and said, I've been reading, I've been reading this book, um, it's about hearing from God. It was, it was by Pete Gregg, and she was just like, there's this passage in there. It's around the road to a mass, and it's not something that I've ever kind of really focused on, and I just, it's absolutely amazing, and I, and I really feel it's just, it, it's just stuck with me. Um, and so we were talking about it, and, and then the more I kind of started talking about it and reflecting and praying, I was kind of like, this is it. This, this, this has to be um, kind of the next uh, sermon. And at the time, I was in a very, very good place in kind of my life, and, and certainly with God, I kind of felt like I knew where I was going, what I was doing. Um, and, it's, and it's an amazing story, um, but it's so encouraging. It's this amazing passage of, of Jesus' love when we are lost and potentially in despair. And I really feel blessed this morning already because I haven't had the best few weeks. I'm nothing absolutely drastic's gone wrong, but uh, it's just been really challenging. I've, 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 my mental health hasn't been great. My physical health has been in the toilet. I've had chest infection. I've, 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 I've not been particularly well. It's just been busy. Sarah and I moved house, which is incredible, but I don't know if anyone's done it. It's not the easiest thing in the world. And I felt like I needed a hug, a biblical hug a, 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 for someone to just wrap their arms around me. And, and as I've been reflecting on this, I really just think that that is what God has for, for, for us this morning, an encouraging hug, wherever you are in an encouragement. If you're lost, if you don't know where you're going, even if you do, just that, 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 that God is there and Jesus is there saying, we've, we've got this. Oh, so, before we jump in, let's pray. Lord, you know us better than we could possibly know ourselves. You knew us before we were born and you love us all individually. You know where we are and today, and I pray that you reveal yourself to every one of us. Let what is not of you please be blocked out, and what is of you leap into our hearts today and stay in our minds, and we welcome the Holy Spirit into this place. Amen. Okay, so like I said, road to Emmaus. So we're in Luke, Luke chapter 4. So right at the end, so, so, so we, we've just had Jesus' um, crucifixion. 
And in fact, we're in, we're in the part of the Bible, this immediately follows where Mary has met um, Jesus in the tomb. And, I, and, and can you remember when we were in uh, looking at the Gospel of John and, 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 and Paul was speaking about uh, Mary confusing Jesus with the gardener? Um, and we're there. We're pretty much smack bang there. And we then have this passage in Luke. So we're going to jump in. So so Luke 24, verses 13. So words are going to come up behind me. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Okay, so we have two people on a road to Emmaus. So a good thing to start. These two people, who are they? Well, one of them, we're not even told the name. They're just companion. You finally get into the Bible and you're not even named. You're just companion. (laughs) And the other one is Cleopas. Good old Cleopas. Who here knows their Bible particularly well? I always look at Brian at that point. Where do we get to hear about Cleopas? Nowhere. (laughs) We don't. This is it. It's just good old Cleopas on the way to Emmaus. We don't know. There's no other mention of him in the Bible whatsoever. There's a very stretched theory that maybe he's one of the other disciples, and and maybe he's actually Simon. And and there's some rationale behind it I don't quite follow about if you get names slightly wrong, and then this could be compared to that name. But it makes absolutely no sense to me, namely because through the rest of the story, we actually hear reference to Simon and and the disciples going to the tomb and the the other 11 or 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 the 12. Um, and it's very clear that Cleopas is not one of them. They, they are his companions, but they're not him. So we have these two individuals. We don't know one of their names, and we know that the other one is Cleopas. It's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> so what do we know? Well, we know that they knew Jesus. It says in the story that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So, so they knew him well enough to be able to recognize him. And it says that they were with their companions this, this morning. The, 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 the women in their, in their group actually went to the tomb. They're, they're very much involved, but they're not one of the 12, or as we, we say at this point, the 11. So they're a part of a wider group. So we, so we hear about in Luke, there's actually a, a, a bigger group. There's, there's, there's the sending out of the 70, this, this, this wider kind of community of disciples. 
So we know that they know Jesus. We know that they were involved, heavily involved, because they, they know the disciples and they refer to them as companions. And that's about it. Don't know anything more than that. We don't know their jobs. We don't know their family lines. There's no other mention of them elsewhere in the Bible. That's about it. Okay, so good start. So we've got two people on the way to Emmaus. We don't particularly know who they are. What about Emmaus, the grand Emmaus that they're traveling to? What do we know about that? Well, actually, not much at all either. (laughs) In fact, there's no other mention of Emmaus in the Bible. There is a mention of Emmaus elsewhere in, 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 in context with a little bit later, but actually when you, when you work it out, that was actually further away from Jerusalem. It was around a slightly different era, and they've surmised that that couldn't possibly have been it. So we've got two people travelling to a place, we don't particularly know them, and we don't know where they're going. So why am I telling you this? This isn't, this isn't a sermon about what I don't know this morning. We, we might, might be here for some time. I absolutely love people that are good storytellers. Actually, my dad was a good storyteller. When I was younger, I didn't particularly sleep well. I used to wake up early in the morning and go and see my dad when I was staying with them. And he used to tell me tall tales. And he was a brilliant storyteller. Um, And it was only much later on in life that I discovered that he hadn't actually climbed Everest and he wasn't the first person to discover certain things. (laughs) But, But the stories themselves were absolutely brilliant. And one thing you learn when you're a good storyteller is you, you focus on the facts that matter, on the bits that matter. And actually, this, this comes to, to, to light when you actually have bad storytellers. And, and it happens with age, I think. Not, not, not everybody. But it starts to get to the point where you start telling a story and you start getting lost in the details that don't matter. And I was going to pick on a few people here today, but James, don't worry, I decided I wasn't going to pick on anybody. <laughs> I feel really bad now. <laughs> but it's the Grandpa Simpson kind of trait, isn't it? When Grandpa Simpson's telling like, oh, I, know, I could tell you a story about this penny, and he just goes off on one. Really good storytellers know what facts to focus on, and they know which facts don't matter. We saw that in an amazing um, part of the Bible when Jason was talking a few weeks ago about the lady with the perfume. We, we don't know her name. It doesn't matter. That's not what that was about. And it's exactly the same here. It doesn't matter where Emmaus is, and to be honest, it doesn't matter who these people are. We'll get back to that. So what does matter? Well, what matters is the state that these individuals are in, and it's it's actually why they're travelling. Here we've got two of Jesus' disciples, believers, followers, that have frankly become lost. They know where they're going, but... They're going the wrong way and they're going there pretty fast. And we know this because when you read the passage, it says so much about where these people are. So I've just paraphrased a couple of points here, but these people were walking and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And when Jesus asked what they were talking about, and it says in the, in the ESV version, they stood still and looked sad. I was chatting with Pete about my sermon yesterday, and actually I didn't realise how beautiful just this passage was. They looked sad. Of all the long words and, and, and things that we explain about people, and quite frankly, they're three days after Jesus was crucified, and they look sad. In the message version, it said it looked like their best friend had just died. And that really got to me. I just was like, that is so 
beautifully tragic. And what things Jesus asks them? Well, Jesus of Nazareth, of course, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, but he was crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now day three since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I think it's clear as day what Cleopas is saying. We had believed. We had been there. We believed that Jesus was the word, the Messiah, the one that would redeem Israel. But we were wrong. He was crucified. And then even in this, there's this hope that you can see in what they're actually saying. It's now day three. Day one, we were like, wow, you know, we might wake up in the morning and it, it's all sorted itself out. Day two, maybe they knew their Bible well and the scripture and they're kind of like, oh, day three, I mean, there was a few messages about what might happen and they wake up and everything's exactly the same. Oh, this excitement, someone's gone to the tomb, but him they did not see. We had hoped. And as I said, the message version, it looked like these people had lost their best friend. <sighs> Sorry. So there's a reason why I say that Emmaus doesn't matter. Where they're going, it doesn't matter. There's one place these people should be. And it's not on the way to a small village seven miles outside of Jerusalem. It's back with their brothers and sisters. There's that empty tomb. That's where they should be. And we, and we, we, will, we will see why a little bit later. They've become lost. They're going in the wrong direction. They're lost in their despair. That's what the Jesus is talking to them. They look sad. Why are you sad? Have any of you been on this road? I've, I've often been on the road to Emmaus. Disinterested, maybe lost, despair, anger, whatever it is that's taken me away from where I should be to going somewhere else. And that's all that I can focus on. How many of us are on that road here as we speak? Lost, maybe fed up, whatever it is, whatever got us there to begin with. Feeling like we know where we're going, but actually just being completely alone in our despair and going the wrong way fast. So what then? What happens then? Well, Jesus steps in and speaks to them and he gives them this brilliant rebuke. This loving rebuke, I've put here loving rebuke, I find that fantastic, but we know that when, we, when, when, when there are people that we love and you give them a click round the ear and you go, Ugh. 
I'm not a parent, so I probably don't know it quite as well as a lot of people here, but... He says to them in verse 25 to 27, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I absolutely love this. Who here would actually quite like a, a Bible study by Jesus? How amazing is that? The message version says, don't you see these things that had to happen? That the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning and with the, book of Mo- the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets pointing out everything in the scripture that referred to him. I'm like, <laughs> how amazing is that? So Jesus schooled them, spoke to them, these things that needed to happen. And then the passage then goes on. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. This is Jesus. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. See, this is the part of the passage I've probably focused on when I've kind of read this in the past. And I've kind of almost viewed it, and please forgive me, as a creepy kind of Jesus ghost story. (laughs) So I focused on this bit, and I was kind of like, okay, so they're walking along this road to Emmaus, and Jesus is speaking to them, and they don't know it's Jesus. And then they get to where they're, they're going, and they invite him in, and they sit down to have a meal, and then all of a sudden Jesus reveals himself to them. They know it's him, and then he disappears. And I completely lost the reason and the context for this story and and what's actually happening here. Cleopas and his companion, surmised to be potentially his wife, are in Jerusalem with everything that's happening. And in their despair as I'm reading this and they look sad and all they can talk about is just what's happened and they, all the buts, all this we had. And they decide that they're going to go to Emmaus. And on the way, Jesus personally walks with them, talks to them about everything and why it's happened, reassures them and reveals himself to them. And in the next passage, and this is why I'm saying, why on earth were they going to Emmaus? In that moment, they immediately step up and go back to Jerusalem. Back to their brothers and sisters. Back to where they were. Back to where they probably should have been. The reason why I have felt so reassured in this passage... is because Jesus personally walks with two sheep that are lost, speaks to them and takes them back to where they needed to be. 
if you think about the context that we're in, this is, this is, this is day one. This is day one. Jesus has risen. Do you think that there are probably more important places that he should be than with the great Cleopas, who we have no idea about, and his unnamed companion? I suspect he probably should have been back with Jerusalem. I say should have been. I mean, I use that from a from, from very much a human perspective. Back with his disciples, his 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 inner group that he's that he's potentially based the future of the church on. It doesn't make sense that he he leaves that to be with these two individuals, except it does, doesn't it? Because we've been being told this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus is the good shepherd that we hear about in Psalm 23. And Jesus is the person that will leave the 99 to go and get the one that is lost that we sing about. In Luke 15, 4, it says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I think this is just absolutely beautiful and a literal... So straight after this, what do they say? Verses 32... They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus personally goes after these two and speaks to them and reveals himself to them. When you're on every bus is on a road, every single one of us is on a path, have you ever felt alone on that path? We're told in the promises that are in scripture that Jesus leaves the 99 to come after us and he is with us and after he reveals himself to these people it's late it's at night we know this because Jesus was about to go further and they said no it's growing late and they step up and they say it's important that we're back there and they leave this is this is a time where you think about the good Samaritan story roads aren't the safest places in the world you wouldn't necessarily want to be traveling at night and they turn around and they go we need to go be back where we should be This is a literal example of Jesus going after these people, of what we hear about in Luke 15, of, 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 of the good shepherd, of, of being led to green pastures. And what would have been the response? What would have been the response to these two individuals being back to where they should be with their brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, it tells us, it tells us in Luke 15 as well, which I've realised is a very, very good chapter. Starts with, with the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and then it gets to a very unknown story, but the prodigal son. What did heaven do when Cleopas and his friend returned, his companion? 
where it tells us, just like the prodigal son, heaven rejoices. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I just absolutely, I, sorry, I, I just find it so incredible to be thinking of these two people walking along. All they can talk about is their disappointment and how distraught they are of what they thought was going to come to fruition and where they put their faith, falling down amongst them and looking sad like their best friend had died. And Jesus personally walking alongside them and encouraging them and speaking to them and then revealing himself to them to get them back where they needed to be. So what? So there's a few things that I just want to... We could speak about this for a long time. There are people that... I mean, they've named their churches after this, this passage. There is so much. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this. But there's three, there's three main points that I just want to really pull out. And, and, and these points for me are kind of hidden in plain sight, but things that I've just absolutely loved getting into uh, a little bit more as I've kind of been reading on this. And the first is this sense of Jesus speaking to Cleopas and his companion. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus knew the importance of scripture. We see that in the way that he answered questions, in the way that his, his, his teachings. It's, it's, it's how we, we know he had all of, so much of this knowledge comes from his complete and utter understanding of the scripture and, and, and why things needed to happen. That's what he ran them through. And he uses it to explain and to encourage Cleopas and to speak to them. This isn't a hidden message. Jesus speaks to us through scripture. That is what he's doing to these individuals, physically when he was walking alongside them. How does he speak to us now? It hasn't changed. The importance of scripture in hearing and knowing Christ. When we talk about meeting and hearing from Christ, we can't, we shouldn't overlook the importance, the necessity of scripture. And in this wonderful passage, it's literally brought to light in, in the way that he is speaking to them and, re and revealing truths and why things have to happen. And what did it say? It said their hearts started to burn with the, within them. In fact, once Jesus had revealed himself to them, they turned around and they said, weren't our hearts burning within us? Whenever I'm lost, it takes me far too long to turn to scripture. Whenever I'm downhearted, whenever I'm angry, whenever I'm going the wrong way fast, whenever I'm on the road to Emmaus, it takes me too long to pick up my Bible and start to hear from God. And in this passage, it's just so brilliantly illustrated the importance of it and how it's through that, 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 that God, not the only way, but it's through that, that God can speak to us and encourage us. Second, so second point, so first point, the importance of scripture and the importance of scripture in, in Jesus speaking to us and, and revealing himself to us. Second, 
Shimilos, but the moment that Jesus actually reveals becomes known to these individuals. It's in verse 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So it's at the point that he breaks this bread that they realize who it is. It's Jesus. Does this passage sound familiar to anybody? Does it, does it share similarities with anything else? It should. Well, when I was reading it, I felt like it was a direct mirror. The, break, the blessing and the breaking of bread. Took me back to Mark 14, where it says that while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I don't think it's a particularly subtle link. I think it jumps off, well, it certainly jumped off the page to me. This took me straight back to that moment with Jesus with his disciples. What we now see is communion. And I absolutely love this link. It's through that that it's at the point that Jesus reveals himself to Cleopas and his companion. And when I was kind of reading it, we do that thing, don't we, that because we know the whole story, sometimes we kind of overlay what people do and don't know. It's like when you're watching a film and you kind of need to remember what characters were in certain scenarios because otherwise you just think, well, surely they know... Something's just happened. And I was doping for this, because I'm kind of like, oh, maybe they would have seen kind of the analogy, and like they, maybe they would have seen kind of what happened here. Except they weren't there. <laughs> Jesus was with his closest. Jesus was with his disciples, his 12, at the Passover, when he spoke about this, when he broke bread in the covenant. And it's important to remember that Cleopas and his companion, his wife, they wouldn't have been there. I love the fact that as they sit there, Jesus blesses this bread and breaks it, and they see it's him. I just see this as, to me, just a completely clear message and analogy, which is this is for everyone. This is for everyone. This is day one. Jesus is with Cleopas and his companion, and it's just like this new covenant, this is for everyone. This is for all of us. This is, this is available for all of us. We, we, we get to know Jesus. So point one, Jesus speaking to us through scripture. Jesus speaking to Cleopas and his companion through scripture. And point two, them, them, him revealing them, knowing him through the point at which he, he breaks bread and, and, and what that represents. And then finally, sorry, just take a And then finally, point three. So towards the, towards the end of the, uh, as of the road, as they're, they're arriving to where they should be. One thing that I find really interesting with a, with a lot of these passages that we, that we talk about is how important actions are. 
there often seems to be something that's kind of needed, uh, 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 an, an action that kind of uh, is commanded or, or, or results in other effects. I, I was, when I was reading, when I was writing a sermon, I kept on thinking back to a sermon that, that Pete delivered when we were in John's Gospel. And it's after Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples and then he tells them to wait. And they decided that they aren't going to do that, they're going to go fishing instead. Which, if it said something else, golf, I don't know, I could probably kind of get on board with fishing I'm not too, too interested in. But he says, and then he, he's on the shore, if you remember, and there's this strange moment that, that, that we, we're told about where he calls out and he says, have you caught anything? And they're kind of like, no. And then it's kind of like, oh, put your nets on the other side of the boat. Which you kind of read and you think, this is quite a normal, just put your nets on the other side of the boat. And then you realise that there's, they're very hard to kind of drag in, aren't they? And it's like all you need to do if you want to catch some fish and the net's in the wrong place is you move the boat. And there's a lot of things, situations like this where people are told to do two things, whether or not it's, it's kind of um, Moses and his staff. There is a really key moment where people do something, their actions are important. Now this, and I just want to take a moment to really emphasize this, this is not talking about faith versus works, this is not talking about us having to earn our salvation. That would, it's a good job that we're not asked to do that because it's impossible. We're saved through the grace of Christ. But it's talking about the importance of actions. And at the end of the passage, it says this, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further. Now, if they do absolutely nothing, the verses as we know it ceases there. See like a person on the road, lovely to see you. You very much know your scripture, take care. And in 29, it says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it's through that that we then get the rest of the verses. Jesus reveals himself to them. They go, weren't our hearts burning? And they go back to Jerusalem and then they speak with the disciples. There's a couple of points there. One, it's, it's showing faith. It's showing faith to the teachings that they had. Love your neighbour. We hear in Hebrew slightly later than this, but the importance of welcoming in the weary stranger. So part of it is that. And a much bigger part of it is this. Jesus is with us walking on the road. He is walking with Cleopas and his companion. They don't know it's him, but he is walking with them. He reveals himself through scripture speaks to them through scripture and it's at the point that they invite him in that they know him he reveals himself to them and their lives change and they pivot and they go straight back to Jerusalem invitation that is such an important part they invite Jesus in. If I could invite the, the worship team back. Every single one of us is on a road. 
We might be working, walking towards Jerusalem, we might be walking towards the road to Emmaus, we might have no idea where we are. We might feel lost, we might feel alone, we might feel completely lost in our own despair and sadness of something that we had faith in that has come seemingly crashing down. And what this says to us is Jesus is walking with us. He's encouraging us, he's speaking to us. And there's just something that we need to do, and that's just invite him in. Invite him in. He's there. Invite him in. And that doesn't mean that the journey will suddenly be perfect. Jason spoke last week about the now and the not not yet. And sometimes we don't see the bigger picture and what the journey holds. But Jesus is there with us, and even when we don't know it, And it's just about inviting him in.